everyone, and welcome to episode 197 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here today. First off, the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going today, Richard? Tired after waking up early three days in a row, Seth, but I'm here. <laughs> it was only 6 a.m. It wasn't that early. Not everyone's like you, Seth. We don't wake up that early. <laughs> Yes, it was a a long but pretty interesting Pro Tour weekend, and that's going to be one of our big topics for the day. But first, we have Chris Van Meter back. How's it going, Chris? We've missed you the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm very happy to be back. I've had just a whirlwind of crappy Mondays, which is when we record, between doctor's appointments and dentist appointments, and I have a bunch of holiday stuff that I'm working on here at work at Card Kingdom, and there's just been a few Mondays that I... I've had deadlines to meet and haven't been able to be on the cast, but my teeth are still there. I'm still alive, and <laughs> I'm all caught up on all my projects and ready to chat about this Pro Tour. Uh, yes, so uh, that is our big topic for today. Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica happened over the weekend, uh, so tons of standard stuff, Pro Tour coverage stuff, just all things Pro Tour is going to be a big chunk of the cast. Then we have a couple of other topics we might get into briefly. There was a Magic Online announcement today that was pretty interesting. Also, uh, maybe some Ultimate Masters talk. That'll really be next week when we get the full spoiler and we'll know more about it, but there's some interesting stuff with box prices that we'll get to if we have time. And then, of course, fish mail, like usual, to wrap things up. So before we jump into it, a quick reminder that today's show is brought to you by SpikesAcademy.com, which is the world's first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy. They have some sweet online courses created by great players like Paul Vitor Damodarosa and Reed Duke. So check them out at SpikesAcademy.com. You can even get 10% off if you use the coupon code GOLDFISH. So check them out. Thank you to them for their support. You can learn more at Spikes underscore Academy on Twitter. And uh, with our sponsorship stuff out of the way, let's jump right into it, starting with Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica. So we're going to jump into uh, all kinds of in-depth stuff about the decks and the format, but what was your just, like, overall reaction to this Pro Tour? I'm assuming both of you watched at least some of it. What's your first gut reaction to Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica? It was a very interesting Pro Tour. Uh, So one of the things I noticed was viewership on Twitch was at an all-time high. I think we were around 40,000 viewers uh, throughout the Pro Tour, which I think is the highest for Standard. And then in the finals, we crested like 45,000-ish. And that's big news, especially since there was the Artifact Preview Tournament happening at the same time, too. So Magic was holding its own. We had a lot of, I'm going to assume, new players. Uh, And I'm guessing this is from the push that... Uh, we've been doing with Arena. So all these new Arena players are tuning in to see Magic played at the highest level. So that was cool. Uh, in terms of the tournament itself, day one and day two were a bit boring, dare I say. We didn't see any new decks. We kind of just saw the usual suspects with, you know, a few pieces of tech thrown in here. Uh, it kind of made up for it in day three. We had a very exciting top eight even though it was uh red white mirrors for the most part we had lsv with the most epic pen trick we've ever seen uh you know and it's kind of moments like these that you know make everything so exciting and it's a moment that you can only have in magic it is a uniquely magic experience you can't really pen trick someone in hearthstone you can't pen trick someone on arena but in paper magic uh you can definitely do it and i don't know if it actually works like i don't know if Dazani was actually tricked but uh, you know he just might have not had any 
chance you know you had to kind of just do it but uh it certainly made for a very amusing moment especially twitch chat everyone's like oh no don't attack don't attack and lsv like having it up there like a used car salesman so (laughs) very exciting and i think that storyline of lsv trying to you know get get his uh i think second pro tour win uh and you know with that settle the wreckage was was a pretty crazy story yeah, I mean, I had a blast watching. Uh, I enjoyed. I, I think it's really cool that there's we're seeing this growth from the influx of arena with the newer players, um, especially since they've been spending all this time playing the Guilds of Ravnica on arena, and now they can see like the the cards and the decks that they've been playing played at the highest level. Uh, the viewership numbers were great. I think that with this particular pro tour being so far into like the the legality of the set after the rotation. Um, I'm not surprised that we didn't see anything very new, but I do feel like the kind of like metagame positioning in this particular format is really, really interesting, and I can't wait to kind of dive into that a little bit more. Um, I, I, can, I can give or take the pen trick. Uh, it makes good TV. You know, it's a, a bit of a spectacle. Uh, I think that anybody other than LSV doing it, like, may have looked a little disingenuous but he had but he hammed it up perfectly um and i really liked like in like one of the interviews with gabby who flew out there to be there for the top eight she was just like he does he tries to do that kind of thing and testing all the time and like none of the guys fall for it because she's, he's just like a big buffoon. um but but yeah it was uh it's really fun to watch and uh a little disheartening to see the the last game of this epic tournament just kind of mulligan to four but what are you going to do? Yeah. Oh, man. We got so many good topics to talk about. So for me, the Pro Tour, I did enjoy it. I'm someone who really likes seeing new decks. That's one of the most important things for me is looking for new decks and just like interesting rogue decks. So on that front, I was a little bit disappointed. But the Pro Tour in some ways made up for it with some really amazing gameplay. There was uh, an epic match with Kai where he, I don't even know how he won this game where he just like was thinking so many turns ahead and was really impressive. There was an epic top deck with Finkel. Then there was LSV with the pen trick and his run through the top eight. So we got to see a lot of the like five best players in the history of Magic doing some really awesome things. So even though I was disappointed that we didn't get to see any rogue decks or it was really there was like no spicy interesting decks whatsoever there was a couple like lich's mastery decks that went out on day one if you look through the lists that got published there's literally like nothing new there's some innovations within the decks and tweaks within the decks but no brand new decks or archetypes but the gameplay itself really helped made up for it and the storylines with lsv and some of these great players doing awesome things made it really entertaining and Actually, for some reason, I can't believe I'm saying these words, but the Boros mirrors were actually fairly entertaining games of Magic somehow. When I saw six Boros decks in the top eight, I was like, oh my god, I do not want to watch this on Sunday. Please, please no. But they actually led to some really close, interesting back-and-forth games. So it it was way better than I imagined it would be when I saw the top eight deck list. Well, because it's just such a different gameplay dynamic than what we're used to, right? Like, if you look at the last standard format, at. Like, did your deci- do your decisions really matter when your opponent could just have, like, Curve into Hazoret or Scarab God and just win the game? Like, with these Boros Mirrors and the Boros deck in general, like, 
all of your decisions matter. Whether you you know block early, attack early, how you sequence your lands, do you shock to get ahead on tempo, which creatures you play, like all of your decisions matter. And there isn't like one like crucial point or one crucial like battle cruiser mythic that's just going to take over the game. Like you have to play and outplay your opponent to win the game of magic as opposed to just like get lucky and draw the, the most powerful card and it's really entertaining to watch let's uh, let's start by talking about some of the decks in the metagame and then we can circle back around to some of the more big picture stuff like viewership and whatnot at the end so uh we we're just talking about boros aggro or red white aggro there's uh, so there was boros aggro and red white aggro red red white aggro is basically a white weenie deck that's splashing for heroic reinforcements and some sideboard cards and then Boros Aggro is more of a mentor style deck with like Boros Challengers and Aurelias and more a traditional like Boros Aggro style deck. So that's the difference there. I would say that Boros Aggro or now I'm confusing myself. Red White Aggro was probably the breakout deck of the tournament. I mean, this was a deck that was known. I, I had seen it in the tournament results and people were kind of playing it on Magic Online, but I don't think it was really a top tier deck heading into the tournament. So what do you think about Red White Aggro going out of the tournament? Is this the new top of the format? Is it the, the one of the top tier decks in standard or was just this just a good choice for the weekend? What do you guys think about that deck? So there was a third white deck which is the channel fireball white weenie deck which decided to go white weenie and then play lifelink creatures and a johnny's pride mate to kind of overpower their opponents in the mirror and you saw lsv casting better than tarmogoyce right like two mana five five six sixes and stuff like that uh, as a way to combat this but going out of the pro tour like i don't think there's anything especially special about these white decks as an arena player we've all seen these decks before and you kind of just get wrecked if people put sweepers and like settle the wreckage uh, any of the three mana two damage sweepers and the the beauty of all of this is people shied away from those cards like the control decks weren't playing them the Golgari decks weren't playing them because they were trying to shore up their Golgari matchups, right? Where these cards are not as effective. And as a result, you have these kind of white weenie decks running rampant, right? But, you know, give them back-to-back Deafening Clarions and they're kind of done for. So I suspect the metagame will shift back. Uh, It's not like this deck is super unbeatable. Uh, Maybe we see Chain Roller. Uh, If you notice, a lot of these lists just get totally wrecked by Chain Roller, but nobody was playing them. So I expect the metagame to shift back, uh, add more sweepers in, maybe chain rollers, things like that. And this will just be kind of a good deck, right? You're not going to see this, you know, five of eight of the top eight decks were right, uh, white weenie. That, that was just an anomaly of the tournament. So I, I feel the metagame will shift back. So there's, it's, it's, there's actually four versions of this deck, uh, cause Andrew Ellenbogen's list didn't have heroic reinforcements, had some of the lifelink elements that the channel fireball list had, but he also had venerated loxodon so like there's this weird spread of the cards that you can play to try and attack things differently and it just turned out that the channel fireball list with the more lifelink and being able to go tall and wide just lined up very well in the mirror so for the actual format um even though there were six of these decks in the top eight like it wasn't the most dominating deck of the pro tour like if we look at like the x1 x2 x2 one lists there are only a few of these red white decks but there's just a, a huge spread golgari midrange jeskai control is it drakes so on and so forth uh 
But all of these players that are in the top eight did very, very well in limited. So the standard format isn't a format where there's just like one deck that dominates. Uh, the Pro Tour is a split format tournament. And so, you know, all these players, you know, 5-0 in one, 6-0 in draft, and then, you know, 7-2-1, seven, seven, 8-2, uh, seven and three were their uh, constructed records, so they weren't just just dominating. I think ultimately what ended up happening and why a lot of these players decided to play the the Boros the Boros style decks, which looking at the metagame breakdown for the weekend, it was the second most popular deck, um, was because the uh, the Golgari decks going into the weekend were seen as the best, um, and there are these the Steam Vent decks is what. I, I like to refer refer to them as like Jeskai, is it the Drake decks um, are very good into the Golgari decks. They, they don't handle flyers very well. You can race them, um, and so a lot of people realized, okay, Golgari's good coming into this weekend. There's there's the potential for a lot of these Steam Vent decks that are going to try and prey on the Golgari decks. What beats the Steam Vent decks? these white weenie based decks have good game against the steam vent decks so that's why we see you know there's not to caught the honor guards in the main deck like we were seeing on magic online a few weeks before the tournament they're in the sideboard and these decks are tuned to try and prey on the steam vent decks that were trying to prey on the golgari deck so it really is a next level next level next level sort of thing which worked out for a lot of people yeah i think we saw a pretty good example in the top eight actually of just how miserable the is it drake's matchup which is the most popular of the steam vents decks this weekend uh, that just felt like a miserable matchup against white red aggro uh, it felt like some builds were better than others uh yuya's build didn't have any fiery cannonades or any real sweepers so it felt like a really rough matchup for him in specific so it'll be interesting to see how things shake out moving forward so uh, we talked a little bit about Golgari Golgari was the number one deck on day one of Guilds of Ravnica uh it posted kind of medium numbers it wasn't a bad deck it wasn't a good deck I think most of the metrics were slightly below uh the average deck in the field maybe because it had a big target on its back and everyone was knowing that they needed to beat it what do we think about Golgari now uh coming out of this tournament where it didn't really put anyone into the top eight kind of missed out on the really high-end finishes uh are we expecting that to remain one of the top tier decks once we see this post pro tour readjustment well if you ask Willie Adel <laughs> He thinks so. <laughs> I mean, you can, because it's black, green, good stuff, you can always tune your Ligari deck to beat whatever you want, right? The, the question is, uh, can it beat enough of the field? And that's going to depend on what the rest of the field looks like. But I, I, I don't think Golgari's in that bad of a shape. I mean, uh, the combo of, what's the two drop? The uh, Wild Growth Walker? Yeah. Like, you know, if there's too much aggro, you put the Wild Growth Walker in the Explore package in, right? Or, uh, you know, if you want to go bigger, you can go bigger towards the Planeswalkers and all your ETBs. Uh, too many Takatli on regards or whatever, just throw in more removal, more sweepers. So there's, there's different ways to configure this deck. And I'm, I'm going to guess, like, how many decks are preying on this? And it's usually the control decks that prey on this. And if the control decks are changing their removal suite to deal with uh, White Weenie, then Golgari has a chance to overpower them. So it's going to be rock, paper, scissors to see where we end up. And I suspect that at the end of all this, we'll still have our three, our kind of three main archetypes going still. Well, so I look at it like this, like outside of Willy, 
I don't think that there were any Hall of Famers that were playing Golgari at this Pro Tour, which I think says a lot. doesn't say that the deck's bad. I think that it falls in to this weird spot where, like, in a normal rock, paper, scissor, you can, like, kind of position yourself against one of the three angles, or, you know, one of the other two angles. But this particular format, there's not just three decks. Like, you have Golgari... And you have Jeskai on the like the two ends of the spectrum where you have like mid range, like flexible, and then a control deck. But like the aggressive decks with you know white based or mono red based, and then you have the Is It Drake deck, I think is the deck that kind of sits in this weird spot that makes Golgari have to play a weird game because they're doing everything that you can't really handle. Like the damage they can put out will outpace your wild growth walker. They're focused on dealing damage in large chunks with their flyers, and that deck is very, very weak to flyers. And because of cards like Maximize Velocity, they can play this like weird control game and then kill you out of nowhere. So I think that the Golgari deck feels similar to like the Jun decks of old, where like one of the big strengths of like the Golgari based decks is you have like this good sideboard options with a lot of flexible cards, but there's just there's not enough that hits all of the different angles that's going to be attacking you. And sometimes you're just gonna have an off weekend. Like if you prepare for like the mono red decks and the Drake decks and have a little bit of stuff for Jeskai, and then there's like a ton of people play Jeskai or a ton of people play the white decks, then you just kinda get crushed. And there just like isn't enough to spread amongst like the other four decks that you have to worry about in the format. Yeah. I think that's a, a pretty good breakdown. I think O'Gary will still be fine. I think that the fears a couple of weeks ago where it was just gonna run away and be the best deck in the format this pro tour pretty clearly shows that those fears were unfounded where now the conversation is more like uh, how does this fit into the top tiers of the meta is it tier one is it tier two uh, which is a big change from where we were a couple weeks ago when uh, some people were very concerned that it might just dominate the format and that was one of the awesome parts about the pro tour in general is uh, it was very diverse we saw the most play deck in the field was Golgari at 22%, and then I think we had four more decks that were between 10 and, like, 15%. So we have a lot of different playable archetypes, and it feels like it's been a long time that we've uh, since we've had a standard Pro Tour with that level of diversity. So... What do you think about the format moving forward from a broad perspective? Are you expecting that diversity of having a lot of different playable decks and no one deck that's 30, 40% of the meta like we had been dealing with? Uh, are you expecting that to remain over the next couple months as we move towards Ravnica Allegiance? Yeah, to add to that, I just want to point out that even within the archetypes, we have so much diversity, right? Like within the white weenie white splash red people haven't figured out what number of copies of what cards to play you know how many venerated locks it on should we play here heroic reinforcements things like that even in the golgari decks they all look pretty different like are you running card are you running explore like it's all over the place the golgari decks just look like like random deck generators like the list like, <laughs> you, you, say like, that. like you just have like these 25 you know whatever awesome cards for the deck archetype and then it just kind of spits out the numbers that's literally all the decks. It feels like you, you opened a booster box and you just took all your guild cards that are rares and mythics and like shoved them in a deck and like you get these random decks. Like none of the numbers are solidified. They're all over the place, which tells me, you know, the cards are very powerful and people haven't figured it out even after four weeks of testing or whatever we're at right now. So I feel like 
you can kind of just build anything. Like even within these archetypes, you can just slam together whatever cards you want. It, it seems like a reasonable choice. Yeah. So a couple things to touch on. First, if you love Golgari and you you know you're looking for hot tech. Willie Edel's always working on it, but I, I actually would point people towards Autumn Burchett and um, Jaden Comparins. They did a lot of work on their Golgari deck for this tournament. Autumn was like either top 16 or like 17th or 18th. Like she did did very well with their deck. They had everything thought out. I expect Jaden will uh, write an article about it. Uh, it will be over on SCG. Like they did a lot of good work. Um, I think the, the the defining card from this tournament is a Danto Vanguard. So like what happens moving forward is just going to be how the format kind of adapts itself to combat a Danto Vanguard. So all of these shock decks um, just get eaten up by it. But if you're prepared like Wilson Mock with, you know, like Sealaways and Clarions, like I think that, you know, that could end up being a very good deck moving forward uh, with Jeskai but I think that we're just going to have a ton of diversity you can play basically whatever you want uh, until Ravnica Allegiance comes out and then all hell is going to break loose like once we get Gruul Orzov, Azorius Simic and Rakdos added into the mix it is going to be crazy Teferi is finally going to get the support of the Azorius guild Um, you know I have my heart set on some awesome gruel things coming along to go with the dinosaurs that we have left over from Ixalan. Things are going to be bonkers once we have the next set comes out, comes out. So relish what you have now because it's going to get shaken up even more in January. And I think like there are some pretty good answers to Adanto Vanguard that just weren't really seeing a ton of play. You have things like Moment of Craving is a really strong answer that I see a lot of the green black decks at the Pro Tour are playing many cast downs in their sideboard but not many Moment of Cravings. Golden Demise is another really good sweeper option if you're in the black colors. So it'll be interesting to see how people adjust to the threats of the format. And I'm really excited for the standard format. Like, I wish there was more spice, but I think we're going to keep seeing a very diverse format going forward. And it's been a while since we could really say that coming out of a Pro Tour. Not only were we coming out of the Pro Tour without really knowing the best deck, like you guys were just talking about, we don't even know what the best deck deck build is of most of the top decks in the format. We don't know what the best Boros deck is or the best build of Golgari. Like, there's so much disagreement between these deck lists. So it's a, actually a really exciting time for Standard, even without seeing a lot of really off-the-walls uh, decks coming into play. So I, before we... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, one last thing. What are your thoughts on the stock of Goblin Chain Roller? If you look at the lists as they came out of the Pro Tour, like no one was respecting Goblin Chain Roller. You have White Weenie, which has basically the entire deck is X1s until they can pump uh, with Vanellish Marshall. Uh, you have Lawnmower Elf decks, right? You have Explore creatures that if they whiff, get wrecked by Chain Roller. Like is Chain Roller poised for a comeback or people are disrespecting it for a reason? This red deck is just not powerful enough to keep up with everyone so yes chain whirler can hit some of the explore creatures if you whiff um but it's like the red decks just get devoured by the golgari decks like you can play chain whirler and try and prey on these white weenie decks but if people just decide to play 
you know, what the most popular deck was going into the tournament, you're just going to get devoured by the Golgari decks. It's such a tough matchup. Yeah, I think that's one of the big challenges with Chain Whirler, and I'll be excited to see what happens with uh, Chain Whirler after we get the rest of the Shocklands. I think right now, uh, with the Shocklands we have, it's really hard. Like, I would love to be able to sideboard in Chain Whirler out of, like, the Is It Drake deck or something, but it's just so hard because of the triple mana cost. So I feel like maybe once we get more Shocklands, we'll see, like, Jund maybe develop, where you can actually cast a Chain Whirler in a three-color deck. So Chain Ruler costs three mana, and you can get it back with the three mana portion of Gruesome Menagerie. Ooh. <laughs> so much value. <laughs> There's actually one other deck that like we haven't talked about at all from this Pro Tour. Even though it didn't place in the top eight, there were still a handful of copies in like the X1, X2 standard decks. The Mono Blue Tempo deck. Like That deck's also just very good and can win a game of Magic, depending on what it draws, and it's very cheap, and let's just... The format is so wide open, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, the the yeah. Mono Blue Tempo story is actually kind of interesting because it had a really bad day one, and I'm not really sure it might be like the reverse of what you were talking about with Red White Aggro, where maybe its players did really poorly in Limited and led to a really bad conversion rate. But if you look at the overall numbers, it actually had an average performance despite losing a ton of players on day one that didn't even make the cut. So it feels like the deck is more competitive than you would think just looking at the really poor conversion rate. Uh, shout out to Michael Cochran, the the lone rep of Demir with the Demir control deck. Actually really cheap, 60 tickets or $260. The only Demir deck. So Demir is the guild that we haven't seen represented much. Uh, We see there's some Esper decks, but no pure Demir decks except for the single Demir control deck. Leaning on Thief of Sanity, Hostage Taker, and Doom Whisperer. So before we kind of transfer out of Pro Tour stuff, I wanted to ask you a couple of big picture questions. So first off, uh, you mentioned viewership was pretty strong. We were up to 40k during most of the finals, got up almost to 50k at a peak during, I think, the very last match. So what are you attributing that to? Like, do you think that is uh, Magic just doing well in general, since Standard is actually pretty well-liked right now? Is it Magic Arena? Is it the fact that probably the single most popular Magic player in the entire world was making a run through the top eight and on camera all weekend? What do you attribute those strong viewership numbers to? 100% Magic Arena. Like, in the weeks leading up to this, Wizards has been very aggressively sponsoring big collectible card game players like you know people that stream other games and it would not be surprising to me that a few of them you know went to watch your favorite streamer and they say oh what is this pro tour thing lots of people are watching it oh it's magic at the highest level and oh what what is this they're playing with physical cards this is strange and they're just tuning in and watching because you know there's nothing exciting about this pro tour like if if you didn't know a pro tour was happening like they're like, you wouldn't know to expect something, right? Like, Standard is kind of solved, it's been out for a while, you know, there's nothing too crazy going on. So I think it's all the arena players coming in, and I think it's actually pretty sweet that they get to see some of the pre-cons going into the finals. You're like, oh, and Johnny's Pride Mate, I have that on my account, right? Like, I can actually go try that out. So I think it was actually pretty cool, but 100% arena. Like, you, you have to give me some pretty strong data to convince me otherwise. So... I think the vast majority of it is Arena, but also all the other things that you mentioned likely have an impact. Also, like, coverage was just awesome this weekend. A lot of the extra pieces they did, the, like, 
top eight teams to watch piece that BDM was doing was perfect. I really liked how they had the round table with Corey Burkhart, Corey, Corey Baumeister, and I believe it was Javier Dominguez that was sat down with them and they were all, you know, just talking about stuff other than just like, you know, what's your record in the Magic Tournament? Like it was really great to like get to listen to those guys talk and chat a little bit. The coverage itself also felt really good. Like I could do without Riley Knight being as trendy and, and pun and punny as he is. But like Chion was on point so good. I think he meshed really, really well with Marshall this time around uh, as well. It was just, I don't know. It, it, it felt like it was more enjoyable to watch. And I think that that in combination with getting the new eyes on it from Arena and making it something that's engaging and captivating to those new eyes is what kept them around. So I think that Magic Arena is definitely a reasonably big size part of it. Although, if you go to the Arena subreddit and... <laughs> And look at some of the posts for like, uh, there's a post for LSV's bluff and some of the top voted posts on there make it sound like people do not watch paper tournaments. Like, oh my God, that perspective is so obnoxious. I have no clue what's going on. How can anyone watch this? So I think that while that's probably part of it, I think that it's also true that LSV is a part of it. I know from talking about it on Twitter, I had several people say, I watch magic tournaments sometimes, not all at all often, but then I heard that LSV was making a run, and I love LSV, so I tuned into this Pro Tour specifically because I love LSV so much. Oh, yeah. So while it's probably a a big chunk attributable to Arena and just the general marketing, uh, maybe more so than Arena in specific, but we have seen this big marketing push for Arena, which uh, is advertising magic in general as well. So I think that's a big part of it. But I think having a player like LSV make a run into the top eight, I think that's also a big reason why the numbers were so good. I mean, hashtag pay the pros. I mean, (laughs) without a doubt, like LSV having it up in that top eight with the settle the wreckage and everything like that will increase magic's popularity by a lot, right? It, It increases the value and kind of puts forth the argument of why pros are important to this game, right? Yes, you will always have someone playing Magic, but when we have a big personality we want to watch, right? When they know how to play to the camera, right? They know what to say or what to do to make Twitch chat go crazy. Uh, It really just adds to the experience. And to touch on CVM's point with the roundtable, you can see Watsi trying to focus on star building. That's what I saw in coverage this weekend. Like, not only the roundtable, but they always had a pro on at the desk for every segment. Like, Paulo was on, you know, Reed Duke was obviously on. They, they just had uh, all the people there to to kind of bring their names to the forefront. And that's one of the criticisms that, uh, you know, we had about Watsi and Star Building. So we saw their efforts uh, to, you know, on that front. Uh, what I didn't like was the technical issues this weekend. Like, I thought, you know, we were, we're in, like, I don't know, round six. The, the audio is desynced, right? And I thought, you know, it has to be my computer because it's been like this for six hours. How could it possibly be the real stream? And I asked Seth, like, hey, is your audio desynced? He's like, yeah. I'm like, are you serious? This thing has been desynced for like six hours? Like, we've done so many Pro Tours by now. I don't understand why they can't get that part right. Like, I, you know, if it happens for the first match, okay. But like six hours into the event, I think you should have had it figured out by then. So I, it was a shame that a lot of the first-time viewers to Magic would see this. Uh, but I think Watsi should uh, take a look at the Magic Arena subreddit, right? Those are a lot of first-time viewers watching paper events, and they have a different perspective, right? I noticed that we use a lot of 
memes and kind of insider jokes and like even pen trick people don't know what that means uh you know riley knight was talking about healing solve and things like that and a new magic arena player will have literally no idea what he's talking about so while it's cool for us you know i would have liked to see i don't know beginner friendly language used like explaining more things like i don't Less know that they explain golgari yeah i don't know that they explain golgari at any point but they should like really be hammering that in uh at every point to uh, convert our new viewers into, you know, lifelong Magic fans. Yeah, I think there's, like, a really fine line there. I've seen some suggestions of having, like, a new player stream, even, that's uh, designed specifically for for new players. I think there's a fine line, and I thought, actually, that they... I thought they focused on that more than normal with this Pro Tour, uh, trying to explain things. Maybe there was still, like, too much jargon and stuff. But from my perspective, I thought that they did more than normally explain uh, some of the more basic concepts that they wouldn't always explain in the past. But maybe maybe I was just thinking that, and that wasn't actually how it worked out. But I do agree with new viewers potentially coming in. That is a good thing to focus on. Um Otherwise, uh, last Pro Tour topic I wanted to ask you about. So, we had this great Pro Tour. We've been talking about the decks, the viewership, all that stuff. The climax of the Pro Tour was basically a non-game. A game where, uh, in Game 5 of the Finals, LSV, Mulda 4, and uh, the odds of winning on a Mulda 4 are 5% or something. It's, it's basically, like, a miracle can happen. It does happen every once in a while. But basically, it's a non-game of Magic. And this led to some conversations about... Uh, should we do something about this? And I think this also kind of ties into Magic Arena, because you have these new players that are playing best of one on Arena, where uh, they give you the best of two hands and try to do these things to, like, minimize the downside of mulligans. And that doesn't even include Hearthstone players who don't even have a concept of uh, <laughs> of mana screw in their game that are maybe coming over to Arena. So what did you think of the ending of the Pro Tour? And do you put any weight in the conversation or calls for a change to the mulligan rules it's a feature <laughs> like not a bug i, I don't know uh, like if you make it so that you can sculpt your opening hand better it changes the whole dynamic of the game right it lets you know combo decks combo easier it lets aggro decks you know play less lands it, it like changes the whole part of magic is building around this variance and uh your deck design you know kind of is baked into here and you know you could play the risky deck with a low number of lands and hope you get enough lands uh you know and sometimes you just mulligan into oblivion and you lose on the spot and i don't know i, I like the idea of more consistency but it just changes the whole dynamic of the game like i've heard things like i think seth you suggested uh if you mulligan twice you get to scry one twice and then etc etc or i've i've heard of the hearthstone style you know, choose some cards, keep them, pitch the rest. Uh, but they just changed the dynamic of the game. And I'm I'm going to say that Watsi has probably tested these at some point, right? We we had the Vancouver Mulligan rule come into effect. It's been a while now. But I assume at that point, they, they looked at all these other Mulligan rules. But that's kind of magic. Like, Mana Screw is a part of magic, and playing lands and managing your lands is a part of magic. So I don't know if we could remove that. So, here... I agree. I think that it is a feature and not a bug, but it does feel bad to have like a game of this scale be decided by it. So like you could potentially have some type of thing where it's like in game five, 
of the finals of a pro tour, then this is the rule. But like, I don't like splintering or fragmenting it that much. One thing that's interesting is uh, the mulligan rules for the player of the year playoff was different than the normal mulligan rules because they were all no sideboard no sideboard games. So we could see something similar to that implemented at some point where you get a free mulligan and then go into the normal mulligans. Um, at the very least, just for standard. I don't think you could, you could apply it to the rest of the game. But that's that's certainly something that could impact having things like this happen. Yeah, I think... Oh, man. It's just so bad from a viewership perspective. I think that's, like, the letdown, is you have this exciting top eight, and it goes to game five, and everyone's hyped, and then it's like, oh, there's, like, not even a game of magic to decide the pro tour. So I think that's the part that is disappointing. I also agree that uh, mana screw and managing your resources and deck building, that is all an important part of magic, and I wouldn't want to see that go away. So if there are any changes, I would like it to be uh, very slight, and the mall rule is one of the hardest rules to change, especially if your plan is to change it for all of Magic and not just standard or a specific format, because so many things that kind of make sense in the context of standard would just absolutely break things in Modern or Legacy. So, I don't know. It's definitely a feel-bad. I wouldn't mind seeing some sort of small change to minimize the drawback of multiple mulligans. I think the system we have now is pretty decent for mold to six i think the scry one has made mulliganing to six a lot more uh palatable and you still have a chance to win a game when you mold to six i think once you go to five though or go to four your odds just drop so much even with the scry that i wouldn't mind seeing a slight tweak to account for those exceptions but i do agree that you can't just overhaul the entire thing without breaking things along the way so yeah best of five is supposed to be the answer right because normally we play best of three and in the top eight we move to best of five to reduce variance to account for these you know non-games so i don't know is like best of seven <laughs> the next step like maybe the finals is best of seven but any given sunday like if you go into a best of 50 against lsv like you're never gonna win right so they want to keep it short so that anyone can win right like that's kind of a feature of magic as well that you can sit down against lsv and although he has you know, a superior deck and he plays better than you, due to variance, you still have a chance of coming out on top, right? I I think, yeah, and it might just be a bit unlucky, because if LSV had, or either player had mulled the four in game two of the finals, no one would be talking about it. So maybe it's just, like, unfortunate that that happened on the very last game, so... They need to stop the stream and restart it so that no one notices. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, reverse the roles. What if this happens to Andrew? Like, are people going to complain? Like, are people going to have the same reaction as, it, as like, it happened to, like, you know, the Golden Child LSV? I don't think so. That's a really interesting yep. topic. I, I think it would not be as much of a conversation if it was reversed. Although, like, I remember this happening during Pro Tour Magic Origins, I believe. And I think it was, I think it was Sigrist that Moldefore in Game 5 of the last match. And I remember saying something about it then, too. So, But maybe Siggy is the same way. He's a well-known player, so maybe that's part of it. He's not LSV, but he is well-known. So, I don't know. I think there would still be feel-bad if it was either player, but I think the big like outpouring of conversation about it probably has something to do with the fact
fact it was LSV. Yeah, it's just like the Kibler effect, right? Like, yeah. Kibler complains about Moto, it comes down for a week for the first time ever, and then they try and do some improvements for it. Like, it's... Uh. Well, so the L- LSV mulligan rule coming yeah. in. <laughs> that's, that's what's coming out of this pro tour. Uh, if you're platinum, you get, if you're platinum, you get a free mulligan. Oh god! Bye. <laughs> going to artifact now. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we got to wrap up our uh, pro tour talk because we need to get to some fish mail, and we wanted to hit a couple other topics really quick. So, uh, Chris, there was a big Magic Online announcement today. Uh, can you walk us through the important things real quick? Yeah, so it's kind of convoluted, but uh, ultimately they're going to be getting rid of like the monthly, the monthlies. Uh, they're going to have like bi-week-ish challenges um, that you can get you to the mocks, but they're, they're adding competitive popper tournaments. They're getting rid of the competitive 1v1 commander. They're implementing a new format point thing that you can accumulate uh, and use to get into format challenges and format championships. Uh, and you can that, that like lead into the mocks and the Pro Tour. So for all of you popper and legacy and vintage enthusiasts out there, you can actually qualify for the Pro Tour by being very good at your tournament that you want to play in, um, or format that you want to play in. And they're also adding or bringing the mocks opens back. So there's going to be a ton of ways for you to get QPs, use QPs. They're adding in FPs uh, as format points and just basically making it so that there are a billion different ways that you can qualify for the Pro Tour that's not standard. Yeah, so I think that is that is exactly right. And it's super exciting to think that popper players, vintage players, all these older formats, that you could qualify for the Pro Tour through that, which is really cool. I think the other kind of takeaway from this, uh, to tie things back around to Magic Arena, is th- at the end of that article, basically what they say is, uh, these changes are designed to focus Magic Online on what it does best, which is older formats and chaos drafts and cubes drafts and eternal formats, and uh focusing on experiences and formats that you can't play anyplace else. So it says we will still be offering standard and draft, but basically what I took away from this announcement is we want you to play standard and draft on Magic Arena. We want you to play everything else on Magic Online. So reading into this, I think it goes back to what we've been saying is I don't really know if I expect older formats and chaos drafts and all these things to come to arena at least in the near future so i feel like this is a sign that wizards does really see the two clients as having very separate goals and purposes so one caveat one caveat to that we had another piece of news this week which was an announcement for an announcement (laughs) and on december 6th at the game awards the future of competitive magic gaming is going to be revealed whatever that means and a lot of people are expecting it to be arena related so i think on december 6th we're gonna understand what the digital front for magic is gonna look like uh for competitive gaming so we'll, we'll see how the arena announcement shores up against the moto announcement speaking of competitive gaming i saw uh seth you tweeted something uh in the credit roll at the end of the pro tour elaine chase is no longer like global branding person she's now vp of competitive gaming and esports uh actually i think someone else tweeted that 
but that is very interesting. Oh, I, I thought, don't think that. I thought I, I thought it was you, but but yeah, there's in the role like in the at the end there's like credits or whatever, and Elaine Chase is listed not as like global branding director or whatever she was before. She's now VP of competitive gaming. And so, yeah, that's actually pretty exciting. And what I see, my prediction would be with this announcement is I fully expect that Wizards is going to announce some sort of standard focused. I don't know how they run tournaments. Maybe they're further along with having tournaments behind the scenes. Like right now, we don't have the infrastructure that's public, at least on Arena, to have tournaments. But I would not be surprised to see them announcing some sort of standard only mox type thing tied to magic arena uh assuming they have the infrastructure behind the scenes that we haven't seen yet and then you'll have all these like eternal ways to qualify for uh big money tournaments in the pro tour through magic online and have standard focused ways through magic arena so that would be my prediction that's just speculation but that's what i would expect from that announcement personally i bet you they'll keep it all in arena i I don't think you would funnel into the pro tour because it would be super awkward to uh, win, you know, the the mocks equivalent of Magic Arena, and then have to fork up five hundred dollars to buy a deck. Uh, so I, I think it'll be purely digital, and it'll stay digital, and you'll be the world Magic Arena champion or something like that. And then uh, hopefully they don't do something weird, like give all the platinum pros like a free buy into this thing or something like that. And hopefully it's something that. You know, everyone has to work just as hard for like no no buys, no no shortcuts in, but you gotta grind your way in like everyone else. You know they're gonna you know they're gonna do it. <laughs> if they do that, like there'll be so much outrage. Uh because all these new players don't know who the pros are, right? Like if you're like a grinder and LSV gets shoehorned in, you're like, yeah. Well, I guess it's well, LSV my hero. They they right? <laughs> but if you're a new player, like who is this guy? Why is he taking my spot? Uh, like, they will learn as they get stomped by platinum pros trying to qualify for something they have no chance at qualifying for. That's your introduction <laughs> to the pro community. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. We gotta, we gotta move on uh, and hit some fish mail. We're running a little bit long, so uh, Richard, why don't you take us through some fish mail? All right, if you have questions, send them to <laughs> at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Alden B four six one zero is the end of Master Set a bad sign for Eternal formats? How can players most effectively push back against Watsy and this egregious pricing as of late twenty eighteen? So the UMA pricing saga continues on. Is this a bad sign for Eternal formats, or is this a good sign because they just reprinted everything? Uh, I, I mean, you're you're getting support. Like, what more do you want? Like, you can't complain that you want reprints and then complain that they're too expensive. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a good thing personally. We're getting a ton of much needed reprints, and they said there's going to be other reprint products. So uh, I'm hopeful that the new products will be even better and maybe even cheaper than master sets like some of our best reprint sets have been things like battle bond conspiracy type sets so if we see more things like that with good reprints and more modern reprints and standard like we saw scape shift and crucible of worlds i feel like it might be a good thing to not have master sets in specific for a while so so with master sets going away and i i remember seeing seth you actually tweeted something that i think is a really good idea um uh, and hopefully it's it, it's something that like actually comes to fruition but uh, master sets going away uh, you mentioned something about printing cards that would be modern oh legal. man that's 
but our new cards. How sick that would that is be? That is my dream scenario, is instead of master sets, we get sets that are, like, partly reprint sets, but partly uh, new cards, or even old cards, like Counterspell, things like that that would be fine in modern that can't go through standard first. Oh, that would be a dream. Or, or just, like, the old M-set design philosophy, where, like, a percentage of them are always new cards, and it's they'll be modern and legacy legal, but not standard oh, that, legal? That would be, be so cool. sweet. So, like, Battle Bond or something, but instead of for multiplayer, for, for modern. Yeah. You know, like modern masters? <laughs> like modern masters. Oh, no. uh, Rakdos 77, with the new master set coming out, do you think we'll see an unbanning of something to help sell packs again? Not as big as last time, but something like Preordain or Ponder? Nope. I don't, nope. I don't think there's any uh, Jaces left, really. I guess Stoneforge, maybe? I don't think a unbanning Preordain isn't going to really help sell packs in a meaningful way. All right. Yeah, I, I, I think if anything, we'll see something like Agent Strange get banned. Oh, please. Please. Will it be an Ultimate Masters? <laughs> oh, we're going to find uh, out. Assault Priest. Can we get a yearly special where Richard plays a modern league or even a challenge with Jund? I don't know if I want to subject you guys to that. That might, that might not be good. <laughs> also, to, to piggyback on the last question, now that I'm thinking about it, Mox Opal is not in this set. So if it does not get banned in the next update, the sky is literally the limit for the price on that card. Yeah, that's what, that's the biggest thing missing. I think like seven or something of the ten most expensive cards were reprinted, and some of the ones missing were fetch lands, which will get reprinted eventually, but that's the big well, one that's they missing. Could be. So. Like, they could just be rare in the set. Uh, I think they've been confirmed out by the numbers crunch from what I've read, but I, don't quote me on that 100%. All right, Kid Panama. Are you hopeful that Ravnica Allegiance will give us Dreadbore? Yes. Yeah? I would be down with Dreadbore reprint or something similar. I mean, we have Raska's Contempt. Like, kind of <sighs> does the job. It's not, not <laughs> the same. Hash Brown Monster. I just had my first child. Named him Jace. I'm finding it difficult to make it to my LGS. I have Arena, but I miss EDH and modern playgroups. Is it worth buying into Moto? I'm afraid to spend money and have it become obsolete. Well, based on the announcements today, it doesn't seem like Wizards is planning on stopping support for Magic Online in the near future. Uh, Modern is kind of expensive, but you can play casual Commander games for literally pennies on the dollar compared to paper. So if you want to play casual Commander, Moto is actually a really great place to do that if you can't get to your local game store. In addition to that, the return on investment for Magic Online is way different than Arena. Uh, so the cards have real world value, and it's usually just a small percentage. So you know, you're, you're, you, if you buy a Commander deck for say a hundred dollars, play it for a couple of weeks, you're probably going to get between sixty and eighty dollars out of that deck when you sell it back. So you're really just kind of renting the cards if you wanted to go that route. And there aren't actually even services like Mana Traders where you can just rent cards. So you pay X amount of dollars and you know you just build your deck, use it, play for a little bit, and then give the cards back and you're done. So there there are there are other options that don't involve you just dumping a ton of money and then being out that money. Yeah, and you can always just straight up borrow cards from friends if you have friends that play Magic Online. Uh, or maybe you make some new friends playing EDH. Uh, I know I love EDH and Moto because things are so ridiculously cheap. Like, we build 20 ticket decks for Commander Clash and they're really powerful when you know, we it's common that we have decks that are like 20 ticks and then like $3,000 in paper. Right, so you get to play with a three thousand dollar deck, but for only twenty bucks for Magic Online. So I would definitely 
check it out, especially given that you're interested in EDH and Modern. And there are even places like Card Hoarder that give out free bot credit for a new player. So, you know, if it's only going to be a handful of cents for you to get, you know, your cards for a casual commander deck, you might be able to just get them for free for, uh, with that bot credit from Card Hoarder. All right, next question. Random Dark Rider, my favorite, one of my favorite against the odds is 34 Rhinos. In honor of our standard savior, Siege Rhino, if you could build a deck with 34 of a creature, what creature would it be? Oh, man. Um, uh, I might go with, uh, oh man, is it Vampire Sovereign? Is that the Flying Sea Shrino that we currently have in Sandard? <laughs> yes, it is. I think that's the closest you could get is Vampire Sovereign. It's basically a Sea Shrino that costs one more mana, so I think that's the way to go. I would just play whatever creature has Ripple. <laughs> <laughs> I would play 34 Tarmogoyfs, but wait, <laughs> they would be zero ones. <laughs> Yeah, you can have fetches. All right, one twos. You know, I've actually played games where I'm like six, like six turns in, and the charmer glyph is like a one two, and I'm like, how is this possible? <laughs> like, and without graveyard hate, right? It's just like, how how did this happen? <laughs> I think I think the correct answer is probably just goblin guide. That's probably true. Oh, that's so much so much land value in drawing. <laughs> Uh, Militia Bugler, what are your views on Solemn Simulacrum as a general value card in EDH? He has been a staple for a long time, but I find myself agreeing with the EDH rec cast that he's been outclassed by newer value cards in non-red or white decks. I still tend to always play Solemn, but I also tend to always play Panharmonicon, so I don't know if my vote counts. Yeah, I think Solemn's just always good. What is the argument for Solemn is bad? Like, Solemn is so good. I need to listen to this cast to see what the arguments are, but I still slam Solemn in, like, almost every single deck. Uh, it just ramps, blocks, draws a card, random artifact synergy. It just does everything. Echo CD. Have any Goldfish content creators narrated themselves playing a game with commentary, even though they weren't recording? Has anyone narrated themselves making a sandwich? I I don't think I've ever accidentally narrated myself when I wasn't recording. Really? Never? <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, maybe I just do it so naturally that I'm I'm doing it all the time and don't even realize it because <laughs> I'm so used to talking over everything I do. That's, that's probably the case. <laughs> How many times have you accidentally hit the stream button when you meant to hit record, Seth? <laughs> uh, several. <laughs> I once accidentally streamed like half of a box opening that I thought I was recording before I realized that I was actually streaming. All right. Uh, last question. 11 Vicious. With outrageous prices, Wizards is asking for Ultimate Masters. I've seen many LGSs and major stores selling the boxes for pre-order at a reduced price. Do you think Wizards will respond to this, perhaps lowering the MSRP themselves, or just ignore it? There's no way they're going to lower MSRP, but I think it's very true that the actual price of the box is mostly going to be determined by the value that's in the set. We've seen past master sets selling for like half of MSRP because there just isn't that many valuable cards in it. So when it's all said and done, uh, the actual price that you pay for a box is going to mostly depend on the value of the cards that are in the box. Yeah, yeah. Uh, MSRP exists uh, just in case it's needed, right? So like, it's not a, a rule, so... Like, the cost of the box is going to be based off of what's in it and what the cost is for LGSs to buy it from a distributor. So, I mean, I don't think that, like, Wizards could set, like, the MSRP for this set could be, 
you know, $500 and the price is always just going to be based off of whatever the LGS pays for the box uh, combined with what's what's in it. So like knowing the MSRP kind of gives you an idea of like where whereabouts most stores are going to be paying for the box. Um, but, you know, we're seeing the price is kind of steady at, in the 280 range right right now. So like that's really not that much different than say Modern Masters 2. Yeah. And uh, and there's a decent chance if MSRP was 240 and the set really has so much value uh, that it is it's that still it looks be, like it has, still be 280. it would still be 280 because it has so much value in it. We saw that with some of the earliest Modern Master sets. So I think people are arguably a little too caught up over MSRP in this scenario, honestly. Yeah, MSRP is mostly meaningless. Uh, we've seen this, you know, the original Modern Masters sold for way more than MSRP. We see this with Commander products. Uh, the good decks sell for a lot more usually uh, than their listed price, and then the bad decks sell for a lot less. Uh, what it does tell you, though, is roughly how Wizards is pricing this, because usually the stores are buying it as a percentage of MSRP somewhere, plus or minus their distributor discounts, but roughly you can just tell that, oh, this is a more expensive product than a standard box. But the fact that stores are selling it for less than MSRP doesn't really mean much. It's just a guideline for them to uh, to help price it. So if you find a place that has a price that you're happy with, then you know just go ahead and buy it, right? Like, it's it's up to your store to kind of price their products. So that's our fish meal for this week. So thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have any questions in the future, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MDGFishMail. And I think that brings us to the end of episode 197 of the Goldfish Podcast. So Chris, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Spikes Academy for their support of the show. Check them out, SpikesAcademy.com, 10% off with the code GOLDFISH. So that's all for this week. Have a wonderful week, everyone. We will be back next week to talk some ultimate master spoilers and this is the group signing out